Hello, I'm Stephen, this is Mick, and today we're going to be talking about technology. Before we begin, we just want to say that this is only a discussion, there are no right or wrong answers, these are just our thoughts and opinions which can and will change, neither of us are experts on anything, we are just two dudes talking. So Mick, today's topic is technology, and we're going to look at specifically what are the benefits and detriments of technology. And like anything in the world, there is a certain balance, I feel, that we should uh, try to approach with technology that will be optimal for us. And so I want to concentrate on, okay, what is that balance? Where are we currently? Are we, you know, too much to one direction or another? Just discussing it, things of that matter. There's one other point I want to make before we get into it is that we can still appreciate and love things and find faults in them. Like just because maybe we'll pull apart something and say, okay, for example, a mobile phone, it's doing this to us, doesn't mean that we don't see that there is a real utility to it, there is value in it. It's just that we can appreciate something, but also see that there are flaws with it and want to improve and develop on it. So like anything that we talk about, I think the best way is to start with, okay, what do we actually mean when we say this? So Mick, I'm gonna throw it over to you now. What comes to mind when we say technology or how do you define technology? Yeah, um, it's interesting. Immediately what comes to mind is obviously digital technology. So computers and and uh, software and hardware and things like that. And I think that's just because I'm a condition of my current environment. So I think that that's been uh, in my lifetime, that's been the greatest uh, revolution in technology in my period of time. But I think what we made in, uh, in a more... Um, uh, clear definition is technology is anything that uh, helps the human civilized advance in their needs, I guess, um, something along those lines. So it's a process or a method or um, something which you have uh, basically uh, discovered uh, through, I don't know, maybe scientific method or, or whatever uh, that actually then gives you some kind of advantage um, over the world around you, over your environment around you. And so that's what I would uh, maybe consider what technology would be. Yeah, I think my thinking is uh, along similar lines. I was thinking about what is the purpose of technology and or what does it do for us? And it kind of amplifies what's already there. So if we were just us, human being, walking around in the environment, we'd interact with it in certain ways. Say we, for example, moving from one place to another, say we've got water at one location and we want to transport that to wherever we're living well what technology does is it helps us increase either our speed to get from one place to the other the amount of water that we can transport from one place to another it just amplifies what we're already doing and so i think that's really what it does what how would i define it though kind of like similar to what you were saying or it's it's ideas or processes that help to amplify our natural abilities And so with that in mind, I want to ask, do you see, is there a difference between, say, a technology and a tool? For example, would you say that a shovel is, there's technology in a shovel or would you just see that as a tool devoid of technology? Like, do you separate the two and how do you picture, how do you differentiate them? Yeah, I like that amplification. That's a, a it amplifies what we currently do because that shows that uh, although we can consider ourselves very uh, broad and knowledgeable, it's really uh, we don't really understand our own impact. It's really just what what values us and 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 uh, just amplifies what we do, not what another species would necessarily do. Um, yeah, tool. The difference between technology and tool. I think if you go to the shovel example the shovel is a result of technology. So I would say the tool is the implementation of technology. So you have some kind of process or some kind of method which you've discovered gives you some some advantage and then the tool is the way in order to ta- to implement that in the real world. So I guess digging, um, you know, maybe this is very primitive, but digging, the process of digging is the is the technology. And the tool could be a shovel, it could be an excavator, it could be all those different things. Um, now, obviously, an excavator has a lot of different, probably a lot of different technology in it, but 
the principle remains is, you know, um, it's really just in my mind the implementation of some form or multiple forms of technology. I agree with you. I, I looked it up to see what other people said about this and there was a lot of unclear things but to me what seemed the most consistent, the most logical is that kind of separation of technology is the abstract, is the idea, is the concept, is the okay, we want to dig for whatever reason and then the tool is the implementation of that. So like you said, it could be a shovel, it could be an excavator, could be whatever. So yeah, I think... I don't know how that will play into what we talk about, but I just wanted to lay that out that the technology and tool are related to each other. Technology, if we can agree, that's kind of the idea behind whatever it is. And the tool is the application, is the manifestation of that idea. Is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah. I think that's a good way to describe the two, the difference of the two. And I think it will help us discern why, um, uh, I guess, the difference between is technology detrimental or beneficial to us or is it? the tool that's actually doing the, the damage or or um, providing us much more advantage or whatever. So I guess technology can be impl- applied all different ways and I guess it's uh, it's not just the technology that brings us the advantage, it's how we actually implement it that can also um, do damage or bring us advantage. That is a very good point because it, it is how you implement it and how you use it that determines whether it is a benefit or a detriment. Like a knife, for example, you can use that to cut up your vegetables in order to cook. You know, it's, it's a time-saving, it's, um, it's, it's a helpful tool in that respect. But then you can think about it, you can also attack and hurt someone with a knife. So it's like, well, is that the fault of the tool itself or is that just a uh, result of how we've implemented and how we've used it? Yeah, I mean, the classic case is like uh, the discovery of uh, like, fu- I guess, nuclear fusion. And uh, I think it's along those lines. I don't know exactly. Fission or fusion. I think fusion. that's yeah. two different uh, ways yeah. to do it. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. We're not. <laughs> <laughs> not actually. But I guess like, uh, you know, you know, from a historical sense, again, very being very generalized here, but I think uh, Einstein didn't really have the idea of using it for a nuclear bomb. But uh, when he, when he uh, sort of come up with the discovery of what nuclear um, fusion or energy can provide, um, so you can see it put in a nuclear bomb or you can see it put in a power plant. I guess they're very two different very tool two very different tools implemented differently and have uh, different outcomes. Yeah, in that case, I would say even the technology in that is just the idea of how do you extract large amounts of energy from a small uh, compact uh, I guess space, really, when you think about it because I won't go too deep into that. but yeah, the really the idea behind that is, okay, how do we get a lot of energy from something very small? And then that probably came about and it's like, okay, well, how do you want to use that now? Because you can get all this energy. You could use that energy over a prolonged period of time over a wide area, say to power a city, or you could just apply it all at a specific point in space. And yeah, it's going to be very destructive if you do it in that way, which is unfortunately how it has been used a lot in the past. I would agree. I would sort of slightly say that the technology is actually the – the, the technology is the um, discovery that nuclear uh, material actually provides us with a substantial amount of energy. So um, what provides us with a substantial amount of energy is sort of the question. And then the technology was the discovery that this this material itself can provide us with a lot of energy. Um, so, yeah, it, uh, I thought I will just tie the technology to something that was a bit of a discovery. Yeah, I think that is – you're right, that's probably the more – where the technology is in that um, example. All right, Mick, let's get a little bit more uh, practical, a little bit more directed on this. What should tech do for us? This is a question that I've got. So, yeah, maybe I'll uh, let you kick us off with this one. What do you think the purpose of technology is? It's a good question. Um, I think what you started with is really good, the amplification of uh, what we currently do. So I guess to me it's always, and it's a little bit how I started as well, is what uh, uh, it's trying to leverage what we know about the physical world around us and I guess taking advantage of technology to get what we need uh, with less energy. There was 
can't remember what it is, but the Michael Saylor, I know you know who that is, but he says, uh, what is it? Cheaper, faster, better. And I guess that kind of aligns with what we want out of technology. We want to do things cheaper, we want to do things faster, and we want to do things better. So that's that's kind of like where mind goes. my mind goes with, okay, that's what tech should do with us. And anytime we look at something, we should say, okay, is this making cheaper in terms of, for example, our metabolic energy that we're spending. So if you take a car, for example, getting from one point to another, that is making it a lot easier. We don't have to spend as much energy to move from one location to another. Cheaper, faster, again, the car example, you're getting from one location to another a lot quicker, better. That's a bit more subjective, I guess, if you say something is better or not. And I guess that there's a lot of different areas you could look at with that. Anything to say about that? Yeah, it'll be interesting talking through that process too because, um, uh, you know, even particularly the car, the car is that initial advantage to get from A to B quickly, but what does it cost you? You know, so it might not always be cheaper in the long run uh, once we figure out what it actually costs to, to have people to have cars and and what it actually means and what is the advantage. So I guess we'll talk through that today is like, you might a car's a really good example because I think um, uh, I don't know how long the car's been around for maybe just over 100 years, 150 years or whatever it is. Uh, there's a significant advantage you're getting from A to B quickly, but the reliance on that advantage I think has come to our detriment. So um, you know where we used to all live to, uh, and be connected to your neighbour and all the rest of it. Um, uh, because you were forced to because basically you had to go to the same place to get your food or, or whatever. Now our family is spread the, uh, very dispersely. Um, you might have family that's interstate and a lot of that has to do with the advantage of taking advantage of technology that allows us to travel long distances. But um, I wonder if that's always, uh, you know, the best way to do things because I think a lot of people um, don't have a strong as strong a connection to their family as they once might have. Yeah, that's definitely a cost. So I want to go back to you said you used the word cost and I think that's a good way to look at it. So if we look at thermodynamics, and I should actually study this a bit deeper because I bring it up a lot, but I don't have too much, too deep a knowledge of it. No energy is ever created. You can only transform energy. So what technology is doing is it's transforming or it's shifting around where that energy is. And the idea with it then is, okay, how do we shift the balance of energy so that a lot of it is off of us and onto something else that is not us? <laughs> and yet, what are the costs then of doing that? Like you said, it, we've got this technology that allows us to spread out, but what's the maybe unintended cost of that? Is it then that we are more disconnected from each other? And then what is the impact of that on us? So we were looking at it in terms of, okay, what's the, say, energy cost for us? Again, metabolic cost, but we didn't look at it from the social cost. So maybe we improved, okay, we don't have to work as hard to do something, but we lost value in some other area that maybe is more important. And that's where that balance comes in, I think, with technology, where it's like you're trying to level out everything. So all these attributes, all these things that make up who we are or what we want, the amount of energy we need to spend on things, the amount of time we spend with others, all this kind of stuff. It's like we have to, we should find technology that actually balances that out so that they're all at like the most desirable levels. Yeah, I think the thermodynamics is uh, uh, a good way to describe, well, the conservation, I think the principle is conservation of energy. So that means that uh, there's only a finite amount of energy uh, within the environment or space around us. Within uh, any in, volume, I guess. It's yeah, or, or any in the universe. System. Yep, yep, yep. So the universe, again, not expert, the universe is an actual closed system, so no energy can e enter or exit. So, yeah, it's just shifting around. Yes, and I think that's really important to really remember, and, and not only for technology, I think that's for everything. That's why, I guess, um, uh, there's a lot of, a lot of situations where it's always good to be balanced, you know, um, that not to go to one extreme, the other extreme, because uh, you get an extreme response by putting something extreme into a system, I guess. So you want to keep the balance. So the, uh, I think when we implement technology, maybe, maybe not when we discover technology, but when we implement technology, uh, maybe there should be a little bit more caution about what it actually 
cost us. You know, so if we take the principle of conservation of energy, okay, it's giving us this amount of energy or benefit, um, but we know because we're taking that, it's it's taking that from somewhere else. So where is it taking it from and what does it cost? Because if you think about the car, it's not just the social cost, it's also the cost to make the fuel. So now we've actually got to have people to work in order to get the fuel so people can travel long distances. So there's a cost of labour, but then there's also a cost on the surrounding environment is, well, is what we're, start, you know, or have uh, realised in the last century, I guess. Uh, so not only is there the cost of getting the fuel, there's a cost after burning the fuel to the environment around us. So I guess those all are not immediately taken into account when you first discover technology because the immediate benefit is so significant that people are just gets implemented without any thought. So, Yeah, let's stick with the car. I want to go even deeper. Look at it from, okay, whole life cycle. This is what we, unfortunately, we put too little concentration on the whole life cycle of a product. But for a car, for example, you need the raw materials, you need the metals, you need the ideas the concept itself so that's that's the actual development of the technology part you need people to actually work and build it you need fuel for the car you need maintenance you need what happens when it no longer performs its function like there's all these other things that we don't take into account because the benefit of it is so overwhelming that it's like oh it's it's worth a lot more than than all those other parts combined and so i think when we look at other things anything say for example a mobile phone what is the benefit is it overwhelming versus like whatever the detriments are but we need to be holistic about what the detriments actually are because maybe i'll take i'm jumping around a fair bit because i'm trying to organize my thoughts as i'm talking jumping back to a car look at it okay if you want to have electric cars right well that means we have to store energy we have to store electricity somehow currently how do we do that we use batteries what is the impact of a battery like how long does a battery last what is the impact of that battery long term how do we dispose of that battery have we taken that into consideration to say that the the detriments of using batteries of having everyone with a car has a battery is is still less than the impact of using say petrol to power vehicles yeah i mean uh, changing to, that's a that's a change of uh, different technology i guess from uh, fossil fuel to to uh, electricity in some form, but you could argue that also that the energy which gets produced at the, uh, the wherever they store it to charge your battery, um, that could be made with fossil fuel as well, or it could be renewable energy. But yeah, I think taking everything into a cost and just because you can do something, is it a value to do it? And is it a value to get... I think one of the things that we get stuck with, and I think that's what we're struggling with at the moment, is that... Uh, all the technology which we implement has a high cost, but we're reliant upon it so we can't give it up. So it's almost like you're stuck in a corner because we've come to a point where we all have become uh, accustomed to the technology which we have and we don't really understand how to live properly without it. Um, but then the cost that it takes to keep bringing that technology in and implementing it is is exhausting us at the same note. We've kind of trapped ourselves where it's like we have become so reliant on the technology that we can't break out even though we can see possibly that it is destroying us. And so it's like we've got to find a way to to break that cycle. To Like we're in a catch-22 at the moment. We've got to find a way to break that. I want to ask you a question because this is something that I thought of whilst prepping for the show and... I want to ask the audience this as well. How far back in time could you go and still survive? Like I'm talking you as a person. Think about everything we have now. Think about in historically how much or what we had, what technology, what tools we had. The way you are now, how far back do you think you could go and still survive? It's a really good question. I think if you start losing the fridge, I'd be, I'd be worried. I think I could go back... Without TV, I could go back without computers. But a house and a fridge are probably a couple of important points and somewhere to buy, uh, be able to acquire food 
that is not necessarily cultivated by myself. I think those things would be important. But yeah, a fridge I think is a something that would be interesting to try and live without. I mean, you know, you go camping and try and do it, but you you take a box with ice kind of thing. So, um, and the ice in itself is created by from a fridge, so it's not something we we could get. So, I'd have to say that would somewhere in that point in time would be where I think would be my, my draw line. Mm. How about yourself? I think I'd be similar. I mean, for example, like you said, ice, how do you even make ice if you don't have a fridge? I think there are ways. I mean, <laughs> the show Jericho, I don't know if you've ever seen this, where there's like a couple of nuclear bombs went off and so they're living without power and someone gets sick and they're trying to figure out how do you create ice without electricity? And they do it somehow. I can't remember. I assume that that would work in reality, but I can't remember exactly how they did it. But yeah, how do you, without a fridge, how do you create ice? How do you preserve food? So this is another thing. It's like, okay, we think it's tough now. Imagine going through winter where you can only, if you, if you aren't, first of all, growing crops yourself, I think you're in big trouble. But yeah, even if you are, how do you preserve that over time? And that's where it comes back to, okay, salt was important. So uh, this was another thing I used to hear growing up. You know, if you have location, if you have access to salt, you're in a good position. I'm like, why? <laughs> like, I don't need seasoning. I need food. <laughs> I don't need salt. But that's a big way that we preserve things. So, yeah, I think I'm similar to you that once you get rid of the fridge, I don't know. I don't know how long I could survive. But I think it's a good question to ask ourselves because it. I think the further back, you can, this is probably a good way to, to me, the further back in time you could go and survive, the more um, at peace you are now, the more comfortable now, the more secure you feel. Like if I could say, okay, take away everything and I could just, if you dump me in the forest right now, I could survive, then it doesn't matter what happens to me because I know if everything is taken away, that's fine, I can survive. Yeah, I mean that's, a, that's probably a good indicator to see how independent on the planet you actually are. And how reliant on technology you are as well. I guess that's the the good draw card. I mean, even just something like um, you, you imagine uh, you were talking about winter there, but even imagine the opposite: going through summer. Ask someone that goes through summer without the air conditioning air conditioning on for a couple of days when it's a forty degree heat wave or whatever. Now, maybe um, some might argue that that wasn't uh, as frequent as occurrence, but there's still records there that go back that had high temperature days. And I think even just our uh, custom to climate, like I walk into the supermarket and it feels like I need a jacket on and yet outside it could be a 40 degree day. So, and the amount of energy that takes in order to do that is completely blindsided. I don't think anyone of us sit back. I remember when I first went to um, uh, the States, I went to Texas and one of the things, what did I go to? I went to a stadium for a graduation ceremony and one of the things that blew me away is as I was coming to the stadium, when the the the, the doors were open, I could actually feel the, the air conditioning pushing out into the out, outer environment. That's how much uh, conditioning they were doing in that, in that stadium in itself. And you don't even think about it. I don't think most people walk in there even think about the amount of energy it takes to cool that place down. Um, in a in a hot environment of, uh, around us, and is that a detriment to us in the long run? That's an yeah. That's that's. I mean, you you find it difficult to stay outside because you're accustomed to this um, this climate control and all the rest of it. So something simple as that. Um, yeah, you you forget on how much you rely on. It takes a lot of energy to cool something down that powerful that you're. It's it's actually affecting the environment outside of it. I always think about it when I go to the supermarkets that like you go through the freezer section and it's, you can feel it. It's actually colder or the fridge section and it, it's open so that you can just go and grab things there. I'm thinking how much more energy do they have to spend to cool down this fridge stuff? Like this, this actually, hopefully this will bring us back a little bit to what is a good or proper application of technology. Think about you go to a supermarket, right? There's the fridge section where the milk is. Now, some of them will have doors where the milk is, but depending on what supermarket you go to, it might be open. So you can you can actually, you know, just go and grab it. You don't have to open up a door. If you just put a door there to hold the, the, the temperature in, how much less energy are you using to keep that cool? 
you know, t- to me, to to walk past like a fridge, freezer section, all the meats there, it's all you can just go and grab it. It's like, why don't you put a door there? Because I can feel the cold from one and a half meters away. How much energy are you wasting? How detrimental is that to the environment? Yeah, it's crazy. And then you think about the lighting they do as well. So like you go in a supermarket, or well, you know, a supermarket chain, maybe not a an independent small grocer, but if you go to a, a proper supermarket chain, I can guarantee you there's no spot which is dark. They do that on purpose because that's advertising. They want you to see every product and they want you to see it very clearly. Um, otherwise, the marketing won't work on you. So like not only is that fridge that you're talking about is lit uh, is uh, uh kept cool and pushed out but it's also glowing and, you know with lights uh all in order to 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 get the product you know the food that you want i guess um so it's quite an intensive way in order for us to to manage food i would yeah i would think one more point on temperature and then i'll try and get us back on track because we are jumping around a fair bit but i think that's all right because uh, i think it's all building towards something just the idea of the we take for granted having uh, being able to control temperature like for me i've spent the last year trying to become more accustomed to just natural temperature like i i for a year i went without uh, just wearing pretty much shorts and t-shirt most days like winter summer didn't matter because i wanted to feel the impact of okay what what, how do I feel differently depending on the weather? And you can tell there's a massive difference in the winter time be, because you're using so much more of your energy just to keep your body at a certain temperature that I couldn't you know, think as well. I couldn't do as much stuff. I was so drained just from keeping my body at temperature. And then similarly in summer when you're too hot, you know, you, you, your body's trying to cool itself down. So you, it's difficult. It's telling you to stop doing things. We've kind of used technology to get rid of that so that we can perform at the same level, let's say mentally, physically, by by controlling the temperature and keeping it at a set point that is, you know, optimal for our bodies. So I don't know, I just wanted to highlight that it is it is a benefit of technology, but let's consider what are we losing with that then? If we're always being if we're always in a temperature controlled environment, well then step outside of that and your body kind of loses that ability to adjust and deal with it. Yeah, that's right. And is that is that um, uh, that use of energy of you know regulating your body temperature naturally is that actually good for you? So if you think about like anxiety, stress, uh, sleeping disorders, all these issues that maybe uh, are more prevalent in the modern era, um, maybe that's due to the fact that we're actually not. Uh, um, dissipating energy which we were naturally meant to dissipate so like you know uh, regulating body temperature going outdoors um, doing physical activity and all the rest of it while technology can can do that for us um, and then we don't have to exert that energy um, is that actually good for our overall uh, biological makeup Um, yeah it's a very good point i mean i even I'm just thinking about it while you were saying that. I think about it from like a child's, uh, a baby's perspective, how they they can't really regulate heat to begin with. And so if you keep them in an environment that is, you know, optimal temperature, what, 23 degrees roughly, let's say, for the majority of like their early development, is that actually messing with their body's ability to adjust its own temperature? Because it no longer has to worry about that. Yeah, what what developmental things are they missing? That's a really good point. What does technology do to the evolution of humans, I guess? And it's a hard thing to measure because you'd have to do that like a longitudinal. You'd have to do that over uh, great portions of uh, generations, I guess, in order to understand that. But you're right. I mean, uh, we don't really understand what the impl- uh, the implementation, uh, implementation of our technology today does to kids in the future. And how far away we get from their ability to actually interact with the natural environment, which is the way in which I guess was originally intended. But I always come back to this argument too that nature just evolves. So what is the natural environment as well? So like if they evolve that way and we evolved ourselves to temperature control, um, is that the natural environment 
doing what it needs to do because we're the we're part of it. So I don't know. It's a it's a deep rabbit hole hole, I guess. But um, yeah, it's a good point. What impact does it have on on uh, a child um, by using certain technologies? What impact does it have on that child and its growth? Mm. You, you, <laughs> there's so many good points that I want to jump off there, but I want to get us back on track. So let's just go back to this and I'm sure we'll touch upon some of what you said there because there are some things I want to cover. Yeah, let's get us back on track so that it's easy for me to do chapter marks for this video. Otherwise, <laughs> we're just, okay, we jump to this and this and this. And that. Yeah. All right, so I want to go back to just briefly what tech should be doing for us and a way that I've kind of summarized it is it should be reducing the time we have to do spend doing undesirable or low value tasks. And then the inverse is what it should actually be increasing the time we can spend doing desirable or high value tasks. What is valuable to someone that's completely subjective, but I'm sure there's common things. So for example, if, if, if we have to peel a hundred potatoes, right? Is it valuable for a human being to sit there with a peeler, you know, doing it or is it better to just get a machine to do it? Like what, how much value are they getting actually peeling a thousand? Did I say a hundred, hundred thousand, whatever, however many you want. But there may be a point where it's like, okay, peel one potato. Maybe that is better to do yourself. Maybe you get something out of it. Maybe you get physical activity. Maybe you get um, fine motor skills doing that. So I think there would be a benefit to a certain point, but beyond that, it's like, okay, then we can start introducing technology to take away some of the monotony, some of the unnecessary work. Yeah, it's a, it's a big question. I wonder if it's, uh, you know, like, uh, yeah, I like the idea of the, um, you know, it takes away the, the, those tasks that are, uh, how did you put it? There was two terms what, where you basically take away the tasks that you, uh, it takes a lot of energy. Monotonous. Yep. Um, I said reduce time doing undesirable, low-value tasks. Undesirable, low-value tasks and then increase the time that you have to do desirable and valuable. High-value oh, tasks. High-value tasks. So I think that's a pretty good way to state it. I'd also say that you'd want in order, I guess it's, the first thing you'd want to do is to sort of meet your physiological needs and use technology in order to help overcome those physiological needs that you'd need. So like food, water, shelter, and uh, what was the, I think there's a fourth yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah. So like having technology help get the best bang for buck in those areas first at a, at a, a, a broad sense, like over across everyone. Yeah, it's, it's really tricky because some of those tasks, like I think about the potato one that you are talking about and like you said that there might be a value of one person peeling one potato and it's kind of this tricky balance about like knowing what's good for you. So like uh, what I mean by that is sometimes you don't want to do something. So I, I use exercise as a good example, I guess. Sometimes, you know, you, you don't want to go and do exercise but you know it's actually good for you. So then you commit yourself to do that job. Now, it's not desirable and you're using more energy than maybe you want to use, but it's actually good for you. So it's something which you can do. So I guess technology is this battle of, like you said, getting rid of those uh, tasks that you don't want to do, but then being very careful that it doesn't come at a cost uh, to you in some way, I guess. Um, because the peeling of potatoes, if, we, if all of us never made food again, I think that'd be a great loss. Um, but then at what point do you bring technology in to help you with food? I guess that's the, that's the tricky part. And that's, I guess what you said is it depends on people are going to have a bit of a subjective view about what task is valuable and what is uh, not worth their time. Yeah, hundred percent. And that's why I split up also desirable and valuable. Like it might be undesirable to do something, but it might actually be of value to you. So yeah, you want to take that into consideration. Like you said, with exercise, it's like uh, some people, I mean, depends who you are. Some people see it very desirable. I enjoy exercise, so I'm, you know, part of that camp. But for the people that it's undesirable for, there is a benefit to you. There is value in it. So it's like, okay, what is the minimum amount that you have? Minimum or optimal, depends on where you're at, where you want, what you want to reach. What is the optimal amount that you should be doing, even though it is undesirable? And then beyond that, you can use technology to offset it. 
I like the word optimal actually. I think that's a really good uh, – if I think about that that balance between when you should use it and when you shouldn't, it's sort of the optimal – it's like the question of uh, what is the optimal for you. So getting the best out of yourself, so not having technology impact you so much that you can't get the best out of yourself, but having technology fill the voids which you can get the best out of yourself, I guess. So, yeah, optimal is a really good word to get that sweet spot, I guess. All right, now we know and we discuss what tech should be doing for us. Let's look at what tech is actually doing to us or what it seems like tech is is doing to us. And I want to talk about this from the perspective of the kind of skills that we lose when we use too much technology. So again, there's a balance. It's not necessarily all or nothing. It's not necessarily you have to use technology for everything. But there's a balance. And if we go too far, I want to talk about some of the skills that we kind of lose when using technology. And one of the things I think technology does is it distracts us or it keeps our attention occupied. And what that does to us and the skill that we lose when this happens is we lose patience. We lose the ability to just sit, think, just be with our thoughts. Like it's so easy now like you'll hear people say, oh, I'm bored, as if that's a bad thing. Like someone should be entertaining them. It's like, you're bored, that's good. You know, you can take that time to reflect, to, you know, concentrate, to build yourself up. And I think technology has made it too easy that, okay, you're bored, well, you can do this now. Okay, you're bored, you can do this. And so I think patience is going to be the first thing that I'll say that technology we've lost because we overuse technology. Would you agree that that's a skill that we're possibly losing. Yeah, wholeheartedly. Yeah, patience is definitely one. And uh, if we're not uh, distracted by it, yeah, technology is definitely a distraction and people want to have distractions in order to not deal with difficult things. I think that that's what technology uh, yeah, has a bit of a curse with is that it allows you to distract yourself to the point at which you don't deal with things that you should be dealing with. Uh, so like those that self-reflection is one of those really important ones. You do need downtime. You do need time to sort of sit and reflect uh, about what experiences you've gone through to digest them properly. And um, I don't think that, uh, yeah, the way in which we implement technology today, I guess it's digital in a lot of ways. What we're talking about here is that, yeah, it's always after your attention. And so it's an easy out for you to be distracted. I'll just go do this now. I'll just go do that now uh, without actually having any pause in between. And, and uh, yeah, loss of focus is definitely another one. Multitasking, um, they're, they're all around that same theme, I think, um, where it's taking away your individual focus on, on something which you can uh, sit with for, for a long duration of time. What do you mean when you say multitasking? I think multitasking is the classic is, you know, being on the phone and watching the TV, I guess. That's a good example of what humans try to do with multitasking. Uh, they're, they're trying to take in more, you know, more than, I guess their intent, their attention is trying to focus on two or more things. So are you saying that's a good or a bad thing? I'd say that's a bad thing, yeah. I don't think that we are truly built to... Um, multitask at all or whatsoever um possibly it'd be interesting you say from an evolutionary point of view i kind of wonder whether mothers have some ability to multitask because they've got to look after kids and it's some kind of evolutionary sense but i think fundamentally i don't think that we can multitask very well at all we're very poor at it i think the when you multitask the I'm trying to think how to phrase this. You can do multiple things at once. Well, not technically. Within a certain like a short time span, you could be doing a million things, you, more than one thing at a time. You can be listening to a podcast, you can be cooking, you can be reading a book, whatever it is, watching a TV show. You can be doing this all simultaneously. But when you do that, you're dividing your attention so you're not getting the full value out of any of them. So if you're concentrating on two things, maybe you're getting 
out of both. If you're concentrating on three things, maybe you're getting 33%. Maybe it's like a, it's it's not an equal distribution either. Maybe it's like 20, 30 and 50% out of something. So basically what I'm trying to say is if you're doing more than one thing at a time, you're never getting 100% out of any of them. You're never doing them to your best ability, especially if it's it's something where you're an active participant. If it's watching a TV show and you don't really care if you are taking in what they're saying, fair enough. But if you're doing something where you are trying to put some of your, uh, you're trying to build or develop or create something, then you benefit from putting 100% of your focus on that because that's the only way you're going to get all of, all of, um, all the best outcome, I guess. Yeah, I guess like um, a computing analogy always comes in mind here. So we're asynchronous um, in that. Uh, what 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 does that mean? So you've got you know the ability to do on a computer. You've got ability to have two sort of different chipsets to do. I'm going to keep it simple: two different chipsets to do tasks at the exact same time. Right, processes to do tasks at the exact same time, and so that's like having two brains, I guess. And then there's uh, the idea that you do either synchronous or asynchronous tasks. So synchronous is the time is consistent and you just do a, a set of tasks that uh, you give a set amount of time to or you basically do a queue. So you give this, this task 10 seconds, this task 10 seconds, this task 10 seconds and then that's all within 30 seconds. So then at the end of this one, you go back to the top, 10 seconds, 10 seconds. So if you look at that approach or 10, 12, 14, um, I should say asynchronous, so 10, 12, 14, different, different timing in between. But I think the important part is that the more you divide it, the more time you've lost focus on that one task. So if you do this first task and the second and third take you another 20 seconds, it's 20 seconds that you now have lost when you come back to that first task. Now, humans are good at being able to fill and extrapolate that gap um, to a certain extent, but there will be error in that gap. And the more tasks that you do, the greater the error. So it's, um, to me, when you multitask, all you're doing is you're sampling something at a particular point in time and filling in the gap trying to fill in the gap. And I think that causes a whole lot of issues because we do a lot of assumption when we fill that gap in. I understand how a computer works. Your explanation there was even confusing to me. So I want to try and uh, kind of repeat or put it in a different phrasing. That's not to say it was bad. It's just no. like, I'm like, I'm trying to make it as obvious as possible. So picture your, your you, 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 you can only do one thing at a time, right? So if you want to do multiple things at a time, you allocate small parts of time to each task, like you were saying, I'm guessing. So you're doing task one and then it's you do that for 10 seconds and it's like, okay, switch to task two, do that for 10 seconds, switch to task three, do that for 10. Again, you can vary the times, you can vary a whole lot of parameters here. But the basic idea is that you're only ever doing one thing at a time, but you're switching between things rapidly. So you're actually, it looks like you're doing them simultaneously. The problem with that is, you do task one, you put your energy in that, then you have to offload all the, like you, you load certain things into your memory and you could you could do this in computer terms as well where it loads information into the cache, which makes it a lot faster to do things. It loads into RAM, whatever. But from a human perspective, you're concentrating on doing one thing, say it's, what do you reckon, writing a paper, right? So you spend all your time, what you do is you need to remember, first of all, okay, where was I at with this? Where was I going? All this information gets loaded into your, your quick access memory. And then you work on that for a short period of time. And then it's like, okay, now I've got to switch to the second task, maybe cleaning the bedroom. So you offload that information. You upload the information about what you were doing, cleaning the bedroom, where you were at, all this other stuff. Then you offload it. So what I'm trying to say is all this, uh, up, uh, all this like, bringing into memory and taking out of memory, that's time that you're wasting on top of the fact that you can never, you're never spending all of your attention and focus on the task, even in that time period where you're actually working on the task. So it just is to try and highlight that when you split your attention, when you split your focus, you're losing efficiency in so many different areas. Yeah. So there's two points. Yeah. So the first point was, like you said, that you can never focus as soon as you multitask, there's some period of time which you don't focus on that task because you can only process one at one, uh, one at a, a certain point in time. 
but that multitasking will cost you more in the long run because of the management system you've got to put in now put in place in order to do those ta- the timing of those tasks in in uh, all at once so you've got to like you said you've got to sort of I'm um I'm cooking so quickly load in oh what was I cooking again what are the ingredients I need to do and then you you make the decision and then as soon as the decision's been made it's now offload all that keep it in local memory and then bring in uh, the memory. What was that person saying on TV again? Oh, okay. And then it's as you're loading and unloading and then you come back to the same task again, you're actually filling in the time gap. You're like um, uh, maybe that's easier for a motor task you do, but if someone's talking on TV, it's like if you talk to someone, you can generally come in at intervals and still understand what they're talking about, but not to the level of a full understanding. So you might be able to be a part of that conversation and get a vague overview of what they're talking about, but you've lost detail in what they actually said because you would do it off with uh, other information and memory doing a different task. Yeah, it brings to mind experiences when I'm talking to someone, right, and they're on their phone and then it's like, oh, did you get that? And like, yeah, 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 blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, but what about this? It's like, you didn't say that. <laughs> it's like, no, I did. You were just concentrating on your phone when you did that and you missed that part. So, yeah. I don't know. That's all getting away from technology. So I think we'll bring it back. So, But I think it was a good tangent to go on and hopefully people understand the cost of multitasking and <laughs> maybe try and uh, focus a bit more on one thing at a time. Another skill that I think we've lost and we, we kind of talked about this is in, in terms of multitasking is the ability to be present in what we're doing. So, I mean, as a as a exercise Go outside and just stand there and pay attention to what is going on around you. You'll, you'll, I mean, you think about it, maybe if you're sitting inside, it's like whatever, nothing's going on outside. But you, if you're standing out there and you're paying attention, you might hear cars in the background, you might hear birds. Like the environment is buzzing with activity that we just usually try and dismiss because we're doing something else. And I don't know, I feel like technology has lost that ability to just sit with something and take in all the stimulus that's coming in and try and just you know don't don't try and judge it don't try and use it for anything just pay attention and enjoy enjoy the sensation of like touching the table to feel the smoothness of the table like enjoy the different senses and different sensory information that's coming in yeah it's a it's a good point like um you forget it shows how strong our brain processes our senses like uh, the filtering mechanisms which it has in order for us to focus. So you're right, when you're outside, if I was actually mowing, or oh, maybe mowing the lawn's not a good idea because the sound, but let's say I was just, um, you know, pruning back some bushes or whatever. It's really interesting to see how your brain filters the outside world in order to for your senses to give you what you need in order to do that task. Because if I'm out there doing that, I'm hearing the sound of the, the you know, the secateurs or, or the branches and all the rest of it. And yet I could be standing still and I could be hearing birds or cars in the background. And so I find that that is your brain basically filtering the information. It gets all the sensors get the information to some level, but your brain filters out what's important for you to do at that point in time. And that's where technology can hijack that, I guess. So it basically... You know, if we think about a mobile phone, it draws your attention to what that mobile phone is. Your brain now filters everything outside that world um, completely and just takes in the information that's on that mobile phone. That perfectly brings me to this next skill that I'm going to suggest we're losing, which is an appreciation for our natural abilities. So like you were saying, the appreciation that your mind is taking in so much information and it's filtering it down to just whatever you're focusing on. But like we can think about other abilities. We talked about temperature before. Just the the thought of standing outside on a 10 degree Celsius day and being in shorts and a t-shirt and that your body can actually handle that. Just you lose the appreciation of that. You lose that ability itself because we, you know, spend so much time in climate controlled environments. So yeah, do you think that's a fair fair to say that we're losing some natural abilities because we are relying so heavily on technology? Yeah, well, it doesn't allow us to push it. Like it does the opposite to allow – if you if you want to grow, you want to push yourself, yeah? 
So what technology is trying to do is prevent you from uh, doing that work. So an undesired task is an uncomfortable task, but that's often the task you need in order to grow. So I guess, yeah, I would agree with that that, that statement from that point of view that um, technology helps you do those tasks that you don't want to do, but then it can stifle your growth. And that's where it comes back to desirable and valuable. You need to take value into consideration. Just because something is undesirable doesn't mean that there isn't a, a lot of value in in doing it. Like we could even say from a technology perspective, coming back to a car, the value is so great even though there are undesirable consequences. Like we think about it undesirable from a human perspective. What about from the actual tool or technology implementation? What about from the car perspective of it's wasteful, it's it's doing things to the environment, it's changing the environment, but there's enough value in it that we're like, okay, we'll overlook the undesirability of it because there's more value to it. Yeah, and just the lack of appreciation for a car. I guess we over we all overuse a car probably more than we need to. And I guess that's just the uh, the being accustomed to the technology and not appreciating actually what it does and what it costs to do that. So if you, you know, like it seems like in a lot of technology that we do, we uh, implement to, to the extreme uh, rather than having a middle ground. It's all sort of like, oh, well, we can use the car, but we'll use the car as necessary. So one of the things I always thought about before, I guess, the, the pan, COVID pandemic came about and, and um and people working from home, it always confused me why people couldn't see that for a majority of the work po- work population. I mean, there's a whole lot of different issues that could be associated, social or whatever. But if you think about from the car a traveling perspective, it didn't really make sense that people come to a central location in order to do their work for a lot of people and then come home. And so you could have got rid of a lot of car travel just because, or train or transport. Uh, just by saying to people, okay, we trust you to work from home. Uh, you can, you've got the ability to work from home. Um, so feel free to work from home. Um, and that, yeah, that would, but instead we have this kind of psychological thing, I guess, uh, we did before the pandemic, like a hang up of, um, oh no, you need to be in the office to be able to do real work. And the reality is in a lot of situations, the opposite, you get distracted more in an office. Um, but yeah, it was this psychological thing that, you know, you needed to check in and check out and um, that's the only way you can do work. And then it came at the cost of just uh, accepting what a car does for us without uh, even considering what that uh, cost of using that technology to get to a workplace was. So it was just a, yeah, almost like overconsumption uh, without the thought of what uh, appreciation of technology, I guess. It's a good way to it's a good example of what i think is most important in this conversation and in technology in general it's just that reflection on how what is the value in it what is the benefit what is the detriment just because we do something a certain way doesn't mean we should be doing it that way just having that awareness i think of of what we're doing why we're doing it and being a uh, being adaptable there's another skill that i want to talk about and then i want to go on to something else so I think having too much technology, relying too much on technology, we lose a fundamental understanding of how things work. So I don't know, you you might be able to come up with a good example for this. I'll uh, let you think about that while I try and explain it a little bit more. But just that because we use technology in so many different ways, we lose that understanding. And this actually goes back to what I was saying before, how far back in time could you go and still survive the technology now, we rarely take the time to actually learn what's going on underneath. How does it work? I'm not saying we have to do it the fundamental way all the time, but at least to understand how it works at a fundamental level so that we either appreciate it, we have that reliance on ourselves that if we lose this technology, this tool, we can still do it because we understand what's going on underneath. And also in order to improve and innovate and develop we have to have a fundamental understanding of how it's working. Otherwise, you know, if you try and build something on top of the the final product, then if you don't understand how it works, it's very risky trying to build on top of it because you don't know what impact that's going to have. So yeah, an understanding for fundamentally how things work. 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, for most people, I think they don't really understand how their car or computer work and they use it every single day to do whatever they need to do. So um, I guess when you don't understand how something works, you lose appreciation for what it's actually achieving and you also lose appreciation for what it um, uh, what what cost it takes and, and what it's actually doing for you, I guess, as well. Like, you know, think of just even the GPS in your car, the fact that you can actually uh, find out where to go because of satellites uh, all orbiting around our planet in order to pinpoint uh, position uh, <laughs> on, on our uh, globe, I guess. So, like, um, you know, not having a understanding, a fundamental understanding for those things, I think you just start to lose appreciation for what they're actually achieving. And then, therefore, that probably leads to the, the overuse of that technology because it's just an expectation. So I don't think anyone really thinks about even what their car does for them. Um, and I don't think many people, uh, even mechanics, I would say, to some level, understand completely how the car works. Like ABS braking, um, yeah, like to a mechanic, it could just be a module. Oh, okay, the ABS brakes uh, failed, so I need to unplug the wire here, take this out, put a new wire in, yeah, no, put a new module in, plug the wire back in, tighten it up, does it work as expected? Yes. But to the mechanic, that that actual module itself is a black box and they, you know, might not ever get an appreciation of what actually... Firstly, what it took even to get that technology. So some technology, like you said, we're built on on prior uh, knowledge. Each technology is built from the the previous. Um, not having a good understanding of uh, that cycle, you don't really understand how much has actually got in. And I guess that that to me is always a tricky part with people. I find that people complain about a lot of things that they have and it's like, you shouldn't really be complaining. Do you understand what it's actually achieving? Like it's amazing what it does. So like I, you know, for work I do VR development and it's like, oh, why can't the VR just do this? And it's like, man, do you even understand that it's doing this? Like it's amazing it's actually getting to this point and it's just so quickly accepted without any appreciation of where we've come from and what we've been able to achieve in that period of time and what it's actually doing for you. And I just think that leads to overconsumption and disrespect to yeah in a lot of ways yeah i definitely think that if you're someone who's trying to build or develop on top of another technology then you definitely need a fundamental understanding of how it works because yeah like you said when they ask you oh why doesn't it why can't you just do this it's like because it's not it doesn't work that way just because it seems on the surface like it could do that that's not how it's actually running underneath and that that that's where that fundamental understanding is important i want to also highlight that I don't think it's necessarily to fully understand how something works like a mobile phone, right? Even for me and you who have a bit of background in computers, a bit of understanding, we don't know really from fundamental, go back, you can keep going back to electricity. Okay, how is electricity working? What's, you know, how is how is the other elements interacting with each other? Like you don't need to go all the way back. It's just to go back enough and to be curious to say, okay, I understand something go is going on here that I don't fully understand and to then appreciate what you've got because of that. Whereas, like you said, I think people, and one day I want to do actually, I was thinking about while you were talking, we should do just a full episode on just the mobile phone and just because you could pull that apart in so many different ways. It does so many different things that we just take for granted. And that's something where I think people have like a mobile phone and they'll they'll just take for granted that you can call someone, you can use GPS, you can play games. It's like the amount of technological breakthroughs that had to happen in order to get to that point is astounding. And you don't even consider that it's just, oh, my battery died. Why isn't that battery better? Why doesn't it last longer? Yeah, you lose appreciation. You begin to just be disrespectful. I mean, even think of photos. Photos is an interesting one that I've always thought about uh, the cost of what digital cameras have, have pr uh, provided, um, what we've lost and I guess what we've gained. I mean, we've gained a lot of things. Like I think that um, if there's any point in time which we've been able to hold up a mirror to society, it's now. Um, so I think that that's why we're uh, battling a lot socially because it's the first time, it's the shock of seeing who we are, I guess. Um, but you know, when it used to be a film, each shot was taken with some 
some appreciation, some consideration. It wasn't just like quickly do a sna- three snaps. It's like, okay, I'm going to take a photo now, pause, you know, smile, whatever you wanted to do. But there was an appreciation for that photo and then you would submit it in and there'd be a time period which you get it developed and then you would put it in an album. Uh, and nowadays you just take a photo and forget about it. It's posted on, Inst- you know, whatever, Instagram or Facebook or whatever. You lose the photo you know, 20 years time, I don't know if you ever uh, ever have a photo album like my parents did and things like that. So it's interesting um, how technology and your consumption of it can really, uh, you can become very disrespectful or, or lack the appreciation of, of what what you actually have. There's definitely a difference nowadays between seeing a picture that someone takes on a mobile phone and then pulling out a uh photo album and looking at a a picture that was taken 30 40 50 years ago like there's something more special even though maybe what's going on in the shot is pretty much exactly very similar to what's going on on the mobile phone there's just something more special to having that photo all right Mick we're running a little bit long but I want to just briefly touch on this because I think it's it's an important idea to at least consider and think about and and think about the implementations or, or implications sorry of it so I want to just start by saying whether you believe that we're designed or we evolved, our bodies were not created for the world that we currently live in. What do I mean by that? Again, thinking back to, okay, how far back in time could you go and survive? Now, imagine a thousand years ago, imagine 2000 years ago, that is the state of the world that our bodies were really designed for, that our instincts are evolved for, that we are created for. So the environment that we have surrounded ourselves with all this technology i mean just look in this room in this shot like the microphones the the recorder the table itself like it's all very novel and the way that that i highlight this to myself is that look at a a child take a young born a newborn a young child when they're starting to like learn to move around and grow look at how much more danger there is in their environment and how much more you have to teach them in order for them to just be safe and in in the world that they're living in that to me is an indication of how much we have changed our environment because we are born with these instincts yes we even even when we were hundreds thousands of years ago we needed to be taught some things in order to survive like don't eat certain things but there was a lot less you could survive at a long a lot younger age whereas now it's like it feels like we're constantly pushing it out you used to be able to survive when you were like seven years old. Now you have to be like, you, by the time you get to 17, maybe we've taught you enough to survive. Now it's like, by the time you're 20 something, you've probably learned enough to survive. That's because our world has become more uh, full of technology. So yeah, just that that idea and that appreciation that, and that awareness that our world is so different from what we know, from what we were designed or created for or evolved for. And to just take that into consideration when we navigate the world. Anything to say to that? Yeah, it's a, it's the whole evolution's an interesting one in that, um, yeah, I don't think we really – I always battle in my mind about what uh, what we're evolving to do. So the world is ever-changing. Um, how much did have we gone away from our design and is that something that uh, was kind of naturally intended or and all the rest of it? Um I, I don't know. I have a really good answer for that, to be honest with you. It's kind of like, yeah, you're right in the fact that uh, a kid has got so much more that it needs to learn. Like even just, the, I was thinking about it, like even just going to work these days, you need a, you generally need a car and a mobile phone and uh, it'd be good if you had some education, you know, at least finished high school or university. So there's already these uh, uh, abstract needs somewhat, I mean, obviously tangible devices, but abstract needs which weren't there before when it was just food, you know, air, shelter and water. Um, but then at what rate, I guess it's the rate at which we should evolve and maybe that's maybe that's what's important here is that technology uh, is beneficial to us to evolve. Uh, where we're evolving to, I don't think anyone knows. Um, I think that's just in human nature like any other uh, living creature evolves. Um, but the rate at which we evolve at is probably what's cost us. Um, so I would suggest that there's been a rapid rate in technology so much so that we can't evolve 
to live within that that world at, uh, or find it very difficult to live in that world at this point in time. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And I want to I want to give this example, which we talked about before the show, but I didn't bring it up. But I think this might be a good way to even close it out and just to help give us something to think about, give the audience something to think about. So the idea of, okay, you're standing in a river, right? You're trying to catch fish with zero technology to start with. So it's just you, the human body. You catch fish by, you know, with your hands. How many fish can you catch in a day? One maybe. Okay, now you develop, you grab a stick, you sharpen it, go back to the river, start, you know, trying to fish. How many fish can you catch? Maybe five a day. You build a fishing rod. You use that. How many fish can you catch? Maybe 10 a day. You build a net. How many fish can you now catch? Hundreds a day, maybe. At the point where your technology or, or you can catch hundreds a day, but the problem with that is now you're starting to actually impact the environment around you. If you catch hundreds of fish a day, there will soon be no more fish flowing through that river. Whereas with all that lesser technology, you couldn't really impact it enough that it would uh, negatively impact the environment or change it in such a way that it was detrimental to you. But now that you have the technology, you have the possibility to heavily impact the environment in a negative detrimental way. So I think we're at that point with a lot of things in this world where we have enough technology that is uh, intense enough, effective enough, powerful enough that we can change our environment in such a way that it is detrimental. So now is the time we should stop and consider, okay, how should we use this technology so that we can remain sustainable or that we may change the environment in a positive way? Yeah, and I think that comes back to the term that I like to use before that you use, which was amplify. So like in your case, you went from, you know, basically no amplification to nice amplification of having a fishing rod or something to an extreme amplification of having a net, which is outstripping your actual needs. And so you have these significant ripple effects on the environment around you because of your own amplification of that technology so i kind of see it like a tidal wave or a, a ripple so you sort of want to have a ripple in a in a lake you don't want to have a tidal wave in in the lake so um yeah it's a it's a good one to show with the fishing that uh, once you get to a net is it really what you actually need very well summarized anything else you want to say before we close off i'm good there good there all right i'm sure we'll return to technology again or at least touch on it in various parts because it is such a big broad thing and we barely scratch the surface i think but anyway my supplemental song suggestion for today is watsky's tiny glowing screens part one there's three parts of the song they're all good but part one for this episode is the suggestion and my quote actually comes it's a lyric from that song so it goes it's tragic that we yawn we've got every gadget but don't care there's magic in our palm. And so again, that's Watsky from the song Tiny Glowing Screens, part one. Thanks for joining us for this discussion. We look forward to hearing your thoughts and opinions on uh, the topic we just discussed. As always, be well. <laughs>